welcome. You've tuned in to Living the Miracle with hosts Michael and Raphael Tamura. You are meant to live a joy-filled life, and you most certainly can. In this program, you will learn simple yet powerful psychic tools to help you fulfill your soul's purpose in this world. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Tamura and Raphael Tamura. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Living the Miracle with Michael and Raphael Tamura. I'm Raphael. And I'm Michael. The purpose for our show is to awaken souls, develop intuition, and fulfill purpose. Today we thought about having a silent radio show, a little like having a silent retreat, but then we figured a lot of you would think we didn't have a show today, so you might not stick around for the whole hour. After all, our subject for today's show is the miracle of sharing your joy of silence and peace. So since we have our program on the Voice America Internet Talk Radio Network, we decided to talk instead of remaining silent as we shared our joy of inner peace and peace with you. We're sure that you've experienced the joy of silence and peace at various times in your life. You might have been on a mountaintop surrounded by nothing but nature by yourself on a most beautiful day and felt joyful. Or you could have been fly fishing in the middle of a pristine river and joyfully celebrating in silence and peace. Perhaps you might have experienced a few moments of joyous respite in challenging times, sitting quietly by yourself outdoors at a sidewalk cafe, watching people go about their lives in the neighborhood while you sipped on your favorite cup of Earl Grey or chai latte. Whether it was just a few moments or the greater part of a day, you probably remember quietly celebrating the joy of silence and peace. It's one of my favorite things in the entire world. Yet, how often have you been able to share your joy of such experiences of silence and peace with others in the world? In fact, if you've had an experience of joyous silence and peace by yourself somewhere, After a while of savoring it for yourself, didn't you wish you could share that joy with someone else? Or if you had such an experience, didn't you want to share it with your family or friends or even workmates the first chance you had? Of course. Joy is not only hard to contain or keep to yourself. It is in its very nature that it has to be shared. It's the experience of the celebration that is life itself. What's a celebration if you just do it by yourself? (laughs) A celebration is meant to be shared. Although you might assume that a joyful occasion is most often a rather boisterous one, we actually tend to experience our joy in a moment of peace and quiet. In the midst of silence, it seems like a whole universe opens up and offers us up a heaping platter of bliss. Of course, it's not so much the universe offers us bliss or joy, but it is the limitlessness and timelessness of spirit that offers the joy when the universe opens up to give us a peek at what lies beyond it. Perhaps many of us have basked in the moments of joyous celebration in the silence and peace of just being alone in nature or even in the middle of a bustling city 
when we weren't running around doing one thing after another because we were able to stop and be just with our inner self for a while. When we are able to give ourselves the psychic space just to be as we truly are, we begin to access our inner joy through that inner stillness and silence. In fact, that is one important part of the purpose for meditating. In deep meditation, as we empty and still our minds, we discover our psychic beingness and who we are in truth. In order to do that, we often have to quiet the mind of all the chaos and noise of trying to survive, gain approval or acceptance, accomplish something deemed worthy, or just to succeed. Silence and peace open the door to that everlasting joy of spirit and of life. It's interesting that offering a moment of silence in a group gathering has become a fairly common practice in America and some other countries to honor or memorialize someone who had died. The Wikipedia website reports that the first documented moment of silence to honor the deceased in an official ceremony happened in Portugal in 1912. How's that for a little data dump? In the U.S., the Quakers, also known as the Society of Friends, have been known to regularly practice their worship services in silence. And this has been going on for over 400 years. So whether we are honoring the loved ones who have passed over or we are worshiping God, we more easily turn our awareness inward toward spirit when we silence not only our outer voices, but our inner thoughts as well. Once again, silence and stillness emptied our mind to become more of a receptacle for the awareness of spirit. What's equally illuminating is how silence and the practice of silence is perceived in various cultures around the world. In the German language, the most common word for silence is Stille, but Stille also is the word for stillness. Silence ultimately comes from the stillness of one's mind. It is said that in China, silence often is used to indicate agreement and receptiveness. For one thing, we wouldn't be able to listen to someone very well if we weren't in agreement to hear what they might have to say and be silent and receptive to listen. Silence is interpreted differently in listening-oriented Asian and Scandinavian cultures and in speaking-oriented cultures like the U.S. And boy, do we ever speak a lot. In a listening-oriented culture, the listener would most often fall silent for a while after being spoken to in order to thoughtfully contemplate on what the speaker said before responding. In a speaking-oriented culture, however, if the listener doesn't respond verbally quickly enough, the speaker may jump to the conclusion that the listener didn't understand, is ignoring, or is rudely dismissing what was said. Amongst many Italians and Latin Americans, one person may start speaking over the other person because they have a chance to complete their communication and there might rarely be any silence in the conversation at all. Of course, in many cultures, certain places where people frequent for reading, contemplation, study, meditation, or prayer are often declared 
or considered places where silence or at least some degree of quiet is expected, such as a library, a temple, or a chapel. Once again, silence helps to open the door of our consciousness inward to awareness of spirit, but making a joyful noise may help us in sharing our joy found in silence and peace. Growing up in a big Irish Catholic military family of 11 total, I was often inundated with noise and noise, so much noise and constant activity, a lot of yelling and shouting and hitting and everyone talking at once. I often sought the refuge of silence somewhere to bury myself in reading a good book, which I think each of my brothers and sisters did at any given time as well. When I first learned to meditate, I could hardly believe the sanctuary and the joy of having that inner silence. But I have to add, at first it wasn't so easy to get to, but ultimately completely worth the effort. With practice and time, I began to be able to enjoy that inner silence and peace even when I was in a very noisy place. You can experience the joy of that inner silence and peace even when the world is loud and chaotic and seemingly unsafe. Well, of course, I was born and raised in Japan in a small family of four of us. Total, right? <laughs> Total, yes. <laughs> Me, my sister, and parents. Anyway, uh, quite the opposite of uh, Raphael's experience. Even more pertinent is that the predominant Irish culture of her family is generally considered a low-context culture, whereas my family culture of the Japanese is considered a high-context culture. It doesn't mean low is bad and high is good. Yeah, well, in <laughs> anthropology and in the study of how people in various cultures communicate with one another, high-context and low-context refer to the way messages are conveyed in the culture and how much the communication is dependent on context or not. In low-context cultures, communication between people are much more direct, and there's an exchange of more explicit information, and all the essential information is integrated into that exchange. In high-context cultures, however, the information is implied and much of the communication depends on a shared history and background. You gotta remember, in Japan, it's pretty much, until more recently, all Japanese people, all from the same, you know, uh, ethnic background, same culture, and everything. So that's that's all shared background and shared history. So a lot of things can be assumed. Well, the relative position each person plays in the hierarchical structure in their family, community, and society provide much more of the context in the transmission of the message as well. And also, emotions play a bigger role, and the communication is much more nuanced rather than being explicit and direct. So that's you know the difference between low-context cultures and high-context cultures. It's a lot of it has to depend on the context for the communication for a high-context, and not much of it is on the context, just direct 
what did this person say for the low culture, a low context? So while Raphael grew up in a family culture where people often spoke up for one another and around constant activity, I grew up where long periods of silence and quiet were more the norm. Even so, like her, I often sought the solace of my inner silence by going into my own room or other place of physical privacy, even when no one was saying anything in the house. Why did I do that? Well, I learned early that external silence wasn't always golden. <laughs> kind of noisy sometimes, yeah. right? In Japan, even though silence was often employed to offer a pause, to more deeply reflect upon the other person, what the other person was saying before responding or to show respect, it was also used to convey disagreement, disapproval, or even contempt. In a lower context culture, if someone made a social faux pas, for example, someone else might vocalize their disapproval or, on the other hand, kindly explain to the unwitting foreigner how things are done in such situations and, you know, educate a person. Yet in the higher context culture, there's a tendency to expect that everyone should know what the native considers common knowledge. Since I was always very psychically sensitive, particularly in my telepathic and clairsentient abilities, I would hear and feel much of what was not being spoken in the room. <laughs> so although sound-wise, the room was quiet, <laughs> internally in my head, it was quite noisy and uncomfortable at times. Just like Raphael pointed out earlier, when we discover our inner silence, Outer noise becomes insignificant to our peace and enjoyment. Throughout my adult life, I've been ever grateful to have been given the opportunities to experience so many moments and hours of the joy of silence and peace. When I reflect upon those times of silent and peaceful joyousness of being alive, some of the first memories that seem to pop up in my mind are the times I was in the seeming quiet and stillness of nature. Over the years, I can recall hundreds of times snorkeling or diving in the open ocean, communing with the underwater world and its extraordinary array of marine denizens. In the ocean, Unless I regularly reminded myself to check my underwater watch and to see what time it was, I would completely lose track of time. I would be in the joyous celebration of spirit beyond time and space when I was in the open sea. On our annual teaching trips to Hawaii, for instance, I didn't quite feel like I had fully landed there on the island until I was in the water swimming with my honu, or sea turtle, friends first. I found that they were almost always receptive to me, sharing my joy of silence and peace with them. Decades ago, the first time I encountered one was in the Pacific Ocean. When I went snorkeling off of a small pier I found on the southern coast of the island of Kauai. I wasn't looking for a honu or anything in particular that morning. Honu is turtle. Yeah, sea turtle. I was just happy 
to get to swim and snorkel in the ocean. Within a few minutes of my snorkeling around by myself in the water, I felt a huge presence behind me. When I turned around to look at who was there, I was greeted by a huge sea turtle, the first one I had ever encountered in the open sea. I immediately felt as I was in the presence of an ancient creature and a wise elder. Standing up, I'm five foot six. This honu was almost as long as I was tall and almost twice as wide. Since I had never encountered a sea turtle of this kind at the time, I assumed that they were all about that size. To this date, however, that first one turned out to be the granddaddy of all green sea turtles I've ever had the joy of meeting. Of course, I can't talk out loud when I'm underwater, which means I'm necessarily silent. Yet, we had the most amazing communication during the entire time he invited me to accompany him, and he told me that on that first time, he was on his way to go to sleep for a while, and he wanted to show me where he slept. Of course, knowing next to nothing about sea turtles at that time, I didn't realize that it was quite an invitation. Much later, I learned that sea turtles, like most of us, go to great lengths to scope out the safest and most hidden sleeping quarters. That this being wanted to show me where he slept was an incredible invitation. Michael will complete the story after the break, but we are coming upon our first break, and we wanted to invite you for our enlightening teleclass titled, Let Your Aura Speak for You, Energy Work for Communicating Who You Are, happening this coming Saturday, June 11th, and this is 2022, in case you're listening to it later, from 10 a.m. to noon Pacific time. This class is part of our popular ongoing series. You might be more psychic than you think, and by the way, you can pick it up and listen to the recording afterwards if uh, you're listening to this later and you're interested. You'll learn to do psychic energy work to help you express more of who you are in your life and in the world. For all the details and to sign up, go to our June events calendar section at michaeltamora.com or call our office at 530-926-2650 and speak with our wonderful new assistant, Debbie, during our normal business hours, Pacific time, Monday to Friday. In just a bit, we'll return with the miracle of sharing your joy of silence and peace. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you love living the miracle with Michael and Raphael Tamora, you'll love their teleclasses, seminars, and retreats. Check out their upcoming events at michaeltamora.com forward slash events. The best book ever. Transformational. Incredible information. One of the best books I've ever read. Inspirational. A must read for anyone interested in accomplishing their purpose. That's what readers around the world are saying about You Are the Answer. The award-winning book by Michael J. Tomorrow, beloved spiritual teacher and clairvoyant visionary. Order your copy now at Amazon.com. 
Living the Miracle with Michael and Raphael Tamura. Find out more about everything that they offer at michaeltamura.com. And be sure to sign up for their free monthly newsletter. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Living the Miracle. Michael and Raphael would love to hear from you. Reach the show today by calling 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to livingthemiracleradio at gmail.com. Now back to Living the Miracle. Welcome back, everyone. We've been having fun exploring the miracle of sharing your joy of silence and peace. Miracles are always joyous, but they can happen in the stillness of silence and peace. Let's find out more about miracles that can happen when you share your joy of, of course, silence and peace. Michael was telling a story about his time in the ocean, so I'm going to turn it back over to him to continue that story. Yes, I'm I'm still in the ocean. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Enjoying the silence and peace. Enjoying the silence and peace. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll tell you the rest of the story telepathically. <laughs> then it could be very noisy. But anyway, before the break, I was talking about the the first time I encountered this giant sea turtle, uh, Honu, in, in Hawaii, and uh, off the coast of uh, Kauai, I was just minding my own business, playing, just swimming around, and this Honu shows up right behind me and, and invites me to go. He wanted to show me where he, he went to sleep. And it wasn't until way later that I realized, wow, that was, that's a quite an invitation because just like, you know, most of us, we, we like our sleeping in peace and quiet and, and, uh, uh, privacy, right? We want it to be safe, especially when you're out in the open ocean and your, your turtles or whatever marine creature you are, there's a lot of predators out there. <laughs> you're, you're good food for a lot of other, other critters. And so, so you want to have where you're sleeping, your, your body is vulnerable. And um, so you want to be well hidden and in a private place. But uh, at, the, at the time, it was just such a friendly and welcoming invitation. You just came along as a saw. I'm, I'm going to go to sleep. Uh, uh, I want to show you where I, I sleep. And he waited for me, and I said, okay. So I followed him. And, and the other thing, he swam at a very leisurely pace. But most of us, until we get to know a, a turtle, especially like a sea turtle, we've grown up with all the stories of turtle, you know, the turtle and the hare. Uh, the rabbit goes really fast, but the turtle is a slowpoke, Right. Well, guess what? <laughs> Once I got to know, you know, a bunch of Honus over time, I they they introduced me to you know how fast they can go uh, underwater, and and they're quite the speedsters when they need to ditch predators or other unwelcome visitors. So they only go really slowly until unless they feel really safe 
or unless they're inviting you and they know you're such a slowpoke <laughs> in the ocean <laughs> compared to them that they'll slow down for you. And and I've, I've experienced that with uh, even more so with, with dolphins. They're so fast. They're, they're like, you know, jet skiers or something. <laughs> but uh, uh, if they want to invite you, they'll, they'll slow down and, and go at your pace so that you can comfortably follow them. So anyway, this, this uh, big sea turtle uh, let me follow him. And then we went um, at a certain point, you know, uh, he, he just he knew where he was going and he starts diving under. Right. And um, so I follow him and he goes to about to the bottom. The sandy bottom at that point was about, you know, 55, 60 feet underwater. And so he goes down to the bottom, and I just hovered right over where his where he stopped, and he fi- he gets to this uh, like a personal size underwater cave, <laughs> perfect for his size. It was just a little bit bigger than him, so very sheltering, and he just went in head first, and until he almost disappeared. I I think he couldn't quite go all the way in uh, to cover up his whole body, but the only part that was sticking out was the very tail end of his shell, and, and he, you know, he pulls his uh, feet in a little bit, and so just a little bit of his hindquarters were sticking out from underneath the, the uh, lip of the cave, and um, then he kind of snuggles into that sand, and obviously, he's, he's going to sleep. And in fact, telepathically, he, he told me, okay, this is my place. I'm going to go to sleep now. But he also said, I'll see you again tomorrow morning. So, of course, I, I made a point to get back out there. And, and uh, this is, of course, the second, second morning, I was so excited. You know, I, I went out and I was looking for him. And then all of a sudden, in the quiet, in my in my head, I get this message: "Don't look for me. I'll come and find you." I said, "Oh, okay." So then I just went and had a fun time, you know, exploring and everything. And uh, uh, so, so I started to uh, swim around and just kind of forgot about him and everything. And when I surfaced one time. Ah, once again, he was right there waiting for me. So anyway, but on that first visit, uh, after he went to sleep and everything, I got to watch him as the soul that he was. Who, who says animals and other creatures don't have souls? <laughs> they, that's who they are. They're spiritual beings, too. They're, everything is spirit. And so then when, just like with us, when the turtle went to sleep, he leaves the body. He, the, the being, leaves the body. And, and I got to witness that. And he comes right on out. And he's this big, bright cloud of rosy pink energy floating up right into the spirit realms. So then when I was swimming back toward the pier that I came off of this that morning, he started to telepathically and from the spirit realms started to recite 
a long poem about his purpose and the place of humanity in the, in the greater scheme of things here in this world. So it was, it was just astounding. And um, so then when I got to my rented car again in the parking lot, I uh, uh, got a piece of paper and pencil and tried to uh, copy down what I could remember. And uh, uh, I, I got a pretty good, pretty good uh, uh, transcript of it, so to speak. But unfortunately, I had it for quite a few years, but we've moved quite a few times in this those many years. <laughs> so somewhere along the way, one, during one of the moves, that got lost. And or at so least it might be still in a box. Somewhere. It could still be in a box somewhere. <laughs> that would be great to see it. So, uh, but it was such a miraculous experience that I will not forget this. That miracle, which was, uh, of course, as all miracles are, has been a gift that keeps giving right to this day. Not the least of which is that since that very first encounter with that big sea turtle, whenever I've been in the Hawaiian waters, Kauai or the Big Island or anywhere, Honus come to greet me and often hang out with me for a while. And uh, I've had such amazing experiences with these honus. Uh, I used to say they come and, and literally when they come to invite me to dinner <laughs> or, or lunch or dinner meal time, which is also another thing that, you know, that's a rare thing for, for any creature to, to uh, invite you to join them for when they're eating, Right. Because, again, that's a vulnerable time. And, but what I learned about the honus is when they're eating, a lot of times they like to eat off of uh, these rocks in, in a very the, – the, where the surf is pounding it, right? Because they have these really tough, hard shells, so they can handle kind of being banged up a little bit. But uh, the surf and the surge is so strong that you got to be like a turtle in order to be with them while they're eating. So because you get shoved one way and then just like the turtles and and they grasp on to these little tiny uh, seaweeds. Uh, I don't know exactly what to call those particular type of seaweed, but they always go for these little clumps of these tiny seaweeds and uh, they're they're stuck on the they're growing from the the rocks and and then they with their very sharp beaks they grab onto it and tear it off but they also use that surge move, movement where they get pushed into the rocks a little bit they bite into the clump of seaweed and then when the uh, surge pulls out the other way but more out to the ocean again uh it just helps them yank out another clump of seaweed. It's like a meditation, right? Yeah. And you have to really be in tune with the ocean. You have to be in tune because, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of water above the rocks. So then uh, they're just floating and they're, very, you know, just an inch or two above the sharp rocks. And then they 
bite, grab, and then they get shoved off. So I found out very quickly that if you fight the surge uh, or get scared about being crashed into these rocks, uh, then you will get crashed into the rocks. So I, I asked him, I said, okay, I'm going to just match you guys and, and float just the way you do. And I imagine myself just being like a turtle and, and eating uh, seaweed with them. I, I love seaweed. It's like sushi. <laughs> yeah. So I called this the Honu Sushi Bar, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I, was, uh, I had lunch at the Honu Sushi Bar today. <laughs> and so then as, as uh, they go out to ocean with the surge, I go out with them, and then wham, we come back. And then I found I never got a scratch. I never got crashed into those rocks as long as I was being like a turtle. So anyway, that, that was just one of the many miracle, miraculous experiences and, and teachings that I, I got from these turtles. And, and the peace and the quiet was so profound just being with them. So it wasn't just me sharing my joy of, of the uh, peace and, and silence. It was them sharing their joy of peace and silence with me and I learned very much a lot about about that uh, the joy of peace and silence uh, from these homers so of course I can go on and on and on about not being too silent <laughs> all the various uh, in the ocean, miraculous experiences that I've celebrated with the Honu as well as with the Naya, you know, uh, dolphins. And uh, naturally, except those times that I forgot I was underwater and vocalized my joy, uh, <laughs> that one time, I, the first time I learned... <laughs> You, you can't laugh when you're underwater <laughs> because all the seawater, you suck in the seawater and then, you know, oh, you feel like you're going to drown. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so once you spend any time underwater in the ocean, you discover, you discover that um, uh, it's not that silent outwardly at all. <laughs> Yep. It's alive with sounds. Uh, it, it's I think of it as it sounds like New York City at night, <laughs> except the sound, underwater sounds are so harmonious that they offer the joy of peace and silence from the human world, at least for us humans. I don't know how they experience it, but... <laughs> And it's in the silence and peace of an experience that we find the joyous celebration that is life. But it's in the sharing of our joy that brings about our full experience of that joy and of the miracle. Yes, and there's so much we can talk about in this. I also love the ocean. I think Michael loves the ocean about 100 times more than I do, so... That's a big, big love. And there is a lot of peace to be found in the ocean. But, you know, it depends on the peace you have within yourself. For instance, if a person isn't within their own space and in a, a, a sort of a silence and peace 
and joy within themselves. If you're wanting to see the dolphins, for instance, they're just not going to show up. And we've seen this over and over again. Um, Whenever we've taken groups, we have them meditate and really be in that joy of silence and peace. And almost always we could have uh, a lot of dolphins show up. But once in a while, someone in the group or somebody comes walks into the group who is a not happy camper and the dolphins stay away. So they're even sensitive to this. And, and in fact, many say that the dolphins, when they are in their sleeping space, they go into dolphin dream time, which when you're dreaming, in, in other words, when you're asleep and out of the body and your body's at peace, hopefully, you can enter into that dream time with them and get the dolphin healing. So, so much to talk about here. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about, and hopefully I have time before the break here, is about learning meditation. Some of you dismiss meditation because it is very difficult to still still your mind. And I like to call that, and I think even psychology calls it mind chatter. And I would like to talk a little more about that after the break. Because right now our second break is coming right up. And I wanted, so this is the time we give our uh, invitations to our events. So I wanted to invite any of you committed to learning much more about your psychic self intuitive awareness and self-healing, and about how you can progress on your spiritual path to check out our Psychic Tools and Life Mastery Practices for Living Your Soul's Purpose course. It's our most comprehensive six-level foundation MP3 audio self-study course. You can take it one class at a time or purchase it one level of classes and seminars at a time. For details, go to our website, which is simply michaeltamora.com, and click on our Seminars, Courses, and Retreats tab under What We Do. Or you can simply call our office at 530-926-2650, and our assistant, Debbie, will be very happy to assist you with questions regarding the course as well as with purchasing any of the classes. When we return, we'll get back to... The miracle of sharing your joy of silence and peace. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Living the Miracle with Michael and Raphael Tamura. Find out more about everything that they offer at michaeltamura.com. And be sure to sign up for their free monthly newsletter. The best book ever. Transformational. Incredible information. One of the best books I've ever read. Inspirational. A must-read for anyone interested in accomplishing their purpose. That's what readers around the world are saying about You Are the Answer. The award-winning book by Michael J. Tomorrow, beloved spiritual teacher and clairvoyant visionary. Order your copy now at Amazon.com. If you love living the miracle with Michael and Raphael Tamora, you'll love their teleclasses, seminars, and retreats. Check out their upcoming events at michaeltamora.com forward slash events. 
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Living the Miracle. Michael and Raphael would love to hear from you. Reach the show today by calling 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to livingthemiracleradio at gmail.com. Now back to Living the Miracle. Well, it's great to have you back. Have you ever shared your joy of silence and peace? Did you ever experience a miracle when you did? Well, that's what we've been exploring today, so let's continue with that. Well, just before the break, I was talking about how some of you have a very difficult time with quieting your mind enough to meditate in any way. And I really loved the high-context culture and low-context culture uh, lecture that Michael gave a little bit earlier because um, that can make a huge difference. In the Western culture, we're very... Uh, let's say, talkative and blah, 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 and people talk over each other and so on and so forth. And it has taken for me a lot of years of practice to learn how to listen. And uh, I learned that when I realized, uh, even in my 20s, when someone was talking to me, I I already knew what they were going to say because I'm telepathic, so I would just blurt out my answer on top of them and then they'd look at me like what you didn't even let me finish saying what I said and it felt like disrespect but what I noticed was as I practiced meditation once I was able to learn it which was very difficult for me at first and I'll talk about that I learned that I could listen better I could listen and I could start to not formulate the answer while the person is talking to me, because that's what we Westerners tend to do, but listen and really absorb what that person is saying and then speak back to them something more thoughtful if there is indeed anything to say. But it has taken discipline. It's, it's like mind discipline. You know, the, the mind just goes blah, 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 blah. And I think in psychology, it's called roof chatter. Your mind just goes 90 miles a minute. We've been given permission. This is how our culture is. The low low context culture is talk, 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 talk. And, and, you know, you have to get your communication out. And a lot of times what what it's hitting is everybody trying to come up with what they want to say instead of listening. So meditation can solve that. But many of you say, oh, meditation is too hard. I can't settle down, blah, blah, blah. Well, When I first started learning this in the very early 1980s, um, not only did I have that low context culture issue, I also come from a family, this family of 11 people, I came from quite a few of us, were pretty hyper in our energy to start with. It didn't take um, coffee or anything to get us there. (laughs) We were there already. So when I learned my very first tools of grounding, the things we talk about on this show of of creating that connection from the center of the earth, from the first chakra to the center of the earth and being in your own space, that was very difficult for me because as soon as I would settle down to that, uh, all the things that I think I needed to do would come up. Oh, the dishwasher, did I turn it on? Oh, did I change the wash load? Oh, you know, of course, I never had a baby, but if I did, it was would probably be, did I remember to take the baby out of the bath, right? So, you know, it can be kind of funny 
or it can be dangerous, actually, in some cases. But as you're settling into meditation, that mind chatter can be let go of. And once you have the discipline to do it, you start to be able to having you start to be able to have sharing your joy of silence and peace or even having that silence and peace within you. How I did it, because literally my mind was racing all the time. And what I did was when I sit down to meditate, whenever those things came up about the dishwasher or the grocery list or something I needed to do, I just kept a piece of paper right next to me with a pencil or pen. And I just wrote down the things that I needed to remember for later. It's like dumping it out of my head onto the paper and then setting the paper aside. And then at the beginning, I would practice the tools of meditation for five minutes max. And I actually couldn't get past five minutes for the first year and a half or so. I did I did it every day without, without uh, you know, missing a day. But I did it. And by about a year and a half, I decided, I think I'm ready to go to 10 minutes. So I extended it to 10 minutes and I was able to do it. And within a few weeks, not two years later, but within a few weeks, I was able to take it to 20 minutes. And I continued like this. So very shortly, a few months after that, I was able to sit in meditation for an hour, which two years earlier would have been an absolute miracle for someone like me. And then I decided to go for it and and work the same, let's say, discipline, because discipline isn't a bad thing. It's just working your energy and having a practice. I was able to get it up to, if I had to and wanted to for a day, I was able to get it up to eight hours. So when we, Michael and I, were involved in an organization that gave psychic fairs, and we had to go give readings at these psychic fairs. And you know, these places are always in very high ceiling. If they're not outdoors, they're in these very high ceiling, echoey kind of places and very noisy if there's hundreds of people walking around. Well, part of our practice and discipline was to learn how to do a reading, be in meditation, do a reading while all that noise was going on. And it was amazing because as a person practiced it, I wasn't the only one. There were hundreds of other people in this school. We were able to learn how to do it. So even to this day, if I'm in a noisy atmosphere and, and I need to look at something psychically, it's pretty easy for me to do so. Yeah, it's it's really amazing, isn't it? You know, when you really look at each one of us is a culture unto ourselves. You know, we, we talk about the the high context and low context cultures. Uh, and of course, those are the the extremes of the whole spectrum and and every group of people that have a certain common way of uh, communicating tends to be more toward one end or more towards the other end and so it's it's great to hear uh, Raphael's backstory so to speak because mine is very much the same on in, in reverse. <laughs> For me, it was natural to, to listen, natural to just sit there and, and just observe and listen and everything. But I had to learn over the course of the years, ah, oh, 
I'm in a different culture now and, and I have to be more explicit. I have to spell it out. And that was the hardest thing for me for a long time. And and I've been in positions of being a director and in charge of groups of people. And uh, I used to say, there's only a few people that I've had as employees or, or, you know, even volunteers or somebody working under me that I felt like, oh, yeah, I could work with this person at first because – and what kind of a person was that that I felt I could easily work with? The ones that I, I could just simply say, oh, could you go do this, whatever this was? And they just go, do it. <laughs> but what I discovered – uh, this is part of that high, co- high context, low context type of a difference. The majority of people who worked under me, they were all very capable people, very highly intelligent, highly educated, very capable on many, many different levels. And I'd say, oh, could you go do that? And invariably, most of them would say, oh, how do I do that? And I go, um, you just do it. <laughs> and it was, to me, it was like, how do you even answer that question? And, and it took me quite a long time, several years to start to understand that, oh, in certain cultures, the, one of the most important questions is, how do I do this? How do you do that? How do you want me to do this? And for from where I am, it was just natural and obvious that, oh, I'm giving you total freedom to do it the way you need to do it. And I just need the thing done. <laughs> but in this culture, it's a lot it's different. Completely because- different, especially in a business or work type uh, environment, because everybody's used to being fired for not doing it right, not doing it the way the boss wanted it done. And I didn't care. Yeah, I mean, as long as how they did it was legal and, <laughs> and it was clean and, and you know, it is, the, the end result was satisfactory, uh, I was fine with it. And for me, the more creative the person and the imaginative person was, sometimes the better because they come up with ways of, wow, how did you do that? Yeah, that's, that's amazing. It's that you got it done cr- well, even if, they did it in a way that was completely foreign to me, but it was done and done to satisfaction. That was what I enjoyed. But uh, I certainly didn't enjoy having to explain to people step by step. Okay, it, it, I used to even joke, uh, "What do you expect? Do you want me to draw you a diagram <laughs> to do this step A? Go, breathe <laughs> and." But over time, I, I observed enough people and I go, oh, yeah, that's part of the culture. And and they've been trained to have to get explicit instructions on this and this and this and this. And a lot of it was about the how. But 
interestingly enough, when you start to realize what mm, level of consciousness that you live in and operate on, oh, where I'm comfortable and at home is there is really no how. Ah, you create each thing. And, and so the how gets in the way. Aha. So then once I realize that, that's about the point when I start to realize, oh, yeah, part of what I need to teach is, is what is easiest, most normal, and obvious to me because I've, I start to discover more and more that what was really obvious to me wasn't obvious to others oftentimes. Much more, many more people felt what was obvious to me wasn't obvious to them at all than those who were kind of more with me on, oh yeah, I gotcha. And so I start to study that. I start to study, okay, when I say these things, People have a funny look on their face. <laughs> I guess it's not obvious to them what I'm talking about. So then I had to kind of reverse engineer that and, and find out, ah, what do I need to communicate to these people so that they start to learn what's obvious to me? And that is a lot of our classes that we teach. And just remember one final thing that those of you that are so concerned about the lack of peace in the world right now is the best way that can be created, especially if you're not a person involved in all the discord in the world, is to find your peace within. All right. Once again, we've come to the end of our show today. We're grateful that you tuned in and hope that you gained some new insights about creating miracles by sharing your joy of silence and peace. Be sure to join us next Wednesday for The Laughing Buddha, The Miracle of Sharing Your Joy of Laughter. We have a small mirror hanging in our house with the anonymous quote, laughter is the sunshine of the soul. It has also been said, laughter is the best medicine. Tune into our show and find out about what might, what miracles come about when you share your joy of laughter with the world. Remember, too, we'll be teaching our next teleclass this Saturday. Uh, let your aura speak for you. Energy work for communicating who you are on Saturday, this Saturday, June 11th, 2022, 10 a.m. to noon Pacific time. Check our website or call our office at 1-530-926-2650 for details or to sign up. Until then, be inspired, use your imagination, and follow your intuition joyfully. This is Living the Miracle with Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll be seeing you next week. We appreciate your joining us today. Living the Miracle with Michael and Raphael Tamura can be heard live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we talk again next week, remember to wake up to who you are. It's your purpose here on Earth.